And it reads, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of our Father, of, of the Father, is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. Amen. You may have your seat as Pastor Todd comes. Good morning. Good to be here with y'all this morning. We are again in 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. As Joshua just said, this is the week that we pray through the Annie Armstrong offering. In the back, there will be some uh, prayer guides for you to pick up along the way. Um, let me pray for us, and then we'll get started this morning. God, I pray through the Holy Spirit that you would quiet our souls, you quiet our minds, you quiet our bodies. We would receive from you through the living word. You've been kind enough and gracious enough to give to us, to bring about all that you would have for us to live. So this morning, I pray, God, as we look at this passage, you bring encouragement, you bring conviction, you bring correction, you bring reproof, and you bring salvation, whether that's through the means of the cross, through justification, or that's the means through the Holy Spirit, our sanctification. I pray that none of us would leave here the same as we came in, but we'd leave one step further, becoming what you said to us to become, become holy for you are holy. So I pray for that in my own life. I pray that in the life of your people this morning. So lead us, guide us as we look at these few verses. Pray this in the mighty name of Jesus, the inspiration of his Holy Spirit, guide us and lead us this morning. All of God's people said, amen. Here we are in 1 John chapter 2. Where we've been in 1 John is this. If you think through the progression uh, where we've been, we started off a few weeks ago in the courtroom. We talked about who's in the courtroom. We talked about what happens in the courtroom. We talked about when we leave the courtroom, we leave with this place of sanctification, justification, that God has done something for us that we could not do for ourselves. He was our great advocate. He advocated before a holy judge on our behalf of our wicked sin. And because of that, we get to come into the throne room of God. Amen? And then we looked at the last couple of weeks that John took us from the courtroom to the classroom. And in the classroom, he began to teach us things, what it really means now that we have our justification. How's that going to play out in your life? How do we become more like Jesus? And then he gives us a test, and he says, take the test to know if you really have received salvation. Now, so many of us say we've received salvation, but if we wouldn't take the test, we'd fail. Because what we say we have, we don't really have. So that's what John was doing. Now, John is going to move us from the courtroom to the classroom, and now my favorite part, the lunchroom. Amen? 
Ah, we got some amens this morning. So he's moving us to the lunchroom. And what is he going to do in the lunchroom? He's now going to say something about our desires. I don't know about you, but I love two holidays. Kind of Christmas, but the two holidays I really love is Easter and Thanksgiving. Because you get a good old meal then, you get a great meal at Easter. The other one I love about here is our homecoming meal. So I want you to think for a moment, our lunchroom this, this morning is really homecoming or our Thanksgiving festival. When we come and, man, there is a widespread. And we come with these desires, do we not? How many of us come for Thanksgiving with a lot of desires? Like, I know what I want. You know, Miss Marilyn, what I want. I'm going to slip it in. We come with these desires. And the, the writer, John, is going to say, what are your cravings today? What are your desires today? He's going to say, based on your desires, based on your cravings, you're going to know you love the Father. So this morning, I ask you this question. What are your desires? What are your longings? What are your hopes? Where does your mind and heart go to when it's quiet? John Owen says this way, what captures your affections? Maybe who captures your affection? What are your desires this morning? John is going to say, he says it so clear in the text. We're going to look at two words to begin with, then we're going to get the bulk of the body of the, the passage. But these two words he starts off with, he says, do not love the world or the things in the world. So we have to ask ourselves, what is John talking about? Because the first word we have to decide is, what is this word love that John is talking about? We said a few weeks ago, I I, I tell you, John is going to repeat himself over and over and over again. He talked about love a few weeks ago. He's going to talk about it again. He's going to talk about it in the future. So what is this word that John says? He says, do not love the world. Now, if you look at John, he talks about love a lot. This is one of the only places that he ever says love in in a negative way. All the others are positive. Love God, love people, love this, love this. But this is the one place that John says, but don't love this. So what does that word love mean for us? It's the word agape. And the word agape means with action. It moves us towards something. So what John is saying, don't move towards these things. Move away from these things. There has to be movement in your love. Do not love this. Love in this passage is not neutral. So what does that word love mean? The word in the Greek means this. You can circle this in your notebooks. And right in that blank page beside you, it's to have a warm regard for, or interest in, or cherish, or to have affection for. And so John says, do not what? Don't have strong affections for what? The world. Now you got to ask yourself the question, then, what is the world? Because... In all the other places that John talks about the world, 
He talks about people. Remember what he said in John 3, 16, for God so loved the world. So is John saying, don't love people? No, that's not what this word in the Greek means. What this word means in the Greek is this. It's the system that's against God. Evil men, this is literally what it means. Evil men against God is what that word means. So now John says, move away from loving the worldly system. Now you've got to ask yourself this question as I did this week. How close do I get to the world system? Like, I'm like, I know the world system. And what John is saying is, don't love the world, but I tend to get close to the world, not in the world. And then I pat myself on the back. Because I'm not in the world, but man, I'm really close. And John is saying, move away from the world. Another way to say this is to move away from worldliness. That's what that word means in the text. So all the places he says the word world is, you could replace it with, do not love worldliness. What is worldliness? This is what one writer says worldliness is. He says worldliness is the abandonment of its creator and lives apart from his rule. Worldliness is abandoning the creator and living apart from the rule of the creator. Do we know that God has created the world and he has a system for the world that we ought to live in? And yet the world says, no, 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 that's not the way. How often do we come to the world thinking that we got a better idea and a better way to rule the world. Am I the only one? That's what John is saying. No, there is a way that the world ought to be ruled, but when you live in worldliness, you think you have the best rule for the planet. Another writer says this, worldliness gratifies and exalts oneself to the exclusion of God. Say that one more time. Worldliness is to gratify or exalt oneself in exclusion to the world. And so John is saying, do not love the world. Do not have worldliness in you or the things in the world. Now, in your Bibles, in your notebooks, circle the word things. That's going to be key in this passage. Now he says, here's the reason we don't love the world or things in the world. If anyone loves the world, what? The love of the Father is not in him. The affections of the Father are not in him. That's why I'm saying this passage says there is no neutral in love. You're either going towards God or away from God. And it's not like you're going towards God with 3% and away from the world at 100%. It's like 100% this way or 100% this way. There is no neutral in where your love and affection is. Now my hope through the Spirit would be this. God will give us the encouragement where we are following Him. But if we're honest with ourselves this morning, we have to be honest with ourselves. There are places in our lives to go after the world. 
So this morning, we, we need encouragement of where we're pursuing Christ with our hearts. But we need the Holy Spirit to convict us where we pursue the world. All of us in this room this morning pursue the world. We just have to be honest with ourselves, and it's in honest with ourselves that the Holy Spirit can eradicate those places that we go after the world. So he says, you, you cannot love God and love the world. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew. You cannot have two masters. You either serve the one and hate the other. He goes on to say, you cannot love God and love money. But we can encompass that to say, you cannot love God and love the world. Those two cannot coexist. We'll see that in the application this morning. So what are the things of the world? There's three things that John is going to tell us of how we love the world. I want you in your notebook to write these things down and then ask yourselves what your cravings are this morning. I'm going to say three things. These are the three things that are going to tempt you more than any other thing to get you away from your love for God. Now you'll have to be honest. I had to be honest. We as a church must be honest. Where are these things true in my life today? Not where were they true. Not if they're true. They are true for each one of us. Those three things. The desires of the flesh. The desires of the eyes. And the pride of life. Now, if you're really, really honest with yourselves, you will find in your life all three of those to be true this morning. You have desires for the flesh. You have desires for the eyes. And you'll have another way to put it is you will think you've arrived when you have not arrived. That is what it means to have the pride of life. Look at me. Look what I've achieved. Look what I've done. That's what John is saying. So let's look at those three together. Let's look at where and how we crave these three things as we sit at this table. Another word for craving or desire is this. A life dominated by the senses. A life dominated by the senses. Your touch, your smells, your sight, your hearing. Like your life is dominated by those things. So where in your life, where in my life, where in the life of this church is our life being dominated by the desires of what? The flesh. You see, the word flesh often means this. But it's way deeper than this today in this text. Oftentimes we come to that passage and we come to words like this. And it says, hey, you are not to have the desires of the flesh. And most of the time we go straight to sexuality. But that is not all that John is talking about. What John is talking about is this place of lust. And I don't mean sexual lust. I mean a lust, a desire for more than what you have. 
This is what the great reformer Martin Luther said about this passage. The lust of the flesh is that the pleasure with which I desire to indulge my flesh. Again, we're at the lunch table. How many of us have sat at a lunch table and overindulged ourselves? I'm telling you, I can get a coma high from those yum-yum bars if I'm not careful. I go into cardiac arrest because I just keep popping them. That is what John is talking about. We have this desire, this craving, this sensation to fill our bodies with something. And John is saying, do not have those cravings. Because when we have those cravings and we go after the cravings of the flesh, we move further and further away from God. The more we put the world in us, the more we push God out of us. God will end up saying it this way. I'll give you over to the desires of your flesh. If that's what you really want. That's what Paul says. At some point in the juncture, at some point in the game, at some point sitting at the table, God's like, all right, have at it. You've got to ask yourself, why would God say that to us? Why would God say to us, have at it? Now, how many of you have children? You're like, man, enough is enough is enough. But God's like, nope, okay. I believe this to be true about this passage. God gives us over to the flesh so that we go into our flesh that then we'll come to a recognition of, man, I don't have it. I need God. And we'll come to repentance. Oftentimes, God gives us over to the flesh so that he would draw us back to repentance. This is what talks about the desires of the flesh. We will all see it. It's all going to happen to us. But this is what is said to Cain. Remember, Cain had desires of the flesh. Remember, that's what killed his brother Abel, was the desires of his flesh. He wanted more than he had, and he wasn't willing to give up what he had. Or he wasn't willing to bring the best of the best of the best. And remember what it says in Genesis chapter 4, verse 7. If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, what? Sin is crouching at your door. Sin is crouching at your door when you give over to the desires of your flesh. We were walking last night. I'll just let you in on the Wormer's house, what we do on Saturday night. We were watching uh, live PD. And there was, from Florida, right? From Florida, they had a sheriff walk up to this dude's house and there was an alligator crouching at its door. And it bit the dude in the kneecap. Well, took his knee off. That is how often we play with sin. It's crouching at our door. But he goes on to say in the passage, it's desires, sin's desires are contrary to you. They're not good for you. It's crouching at your door. 
And then he says this, but you must rule over. Remember what we just said last week about this part. We have overcome the evil one. But we will not overcome the evil one if we give over our desires of the flesh. Because we won't have the sensibility to know that sin is even there. So the first one is this. In your life and in my life, the life of this church, where and what are the desires of your flesh? What is stimulating you this morning that is contrary to God? The next is this. He says, not only is it the desires of the flesh, but what? It's the desires of the eyes. Two little one-inch openings in your face. And how often do those two little places in our lives get us into deep, deep trouble? What is John talking about? He's talking about this idea that we covet. He's talking about covetedness. That we see what we want and we go after what we want because we don't have what we want. Which really then shows us that we don't believe that there's a God who will get us what we want. Because remember what the psalmist says, God will give you the desires of your heart. But where does that passage start? Delighting yourself in him. How often do we not delight ourselves in God and we demand that God gives us what we want? Now here's what happens when we have those desires of the eyes. We want what we want when we want it, and we'll do it at all costs, no matter what the relationship is. I'll covet this. I'll covet this job. I'll covet this person. I'll covet this money. I see things that I want. I see things that I don't have, and I'm going after it despite the cost. Remember what happened to David when he had covetous eyes. Let's go to, you don't have to turn there this morning, but remember it says this in the passage in 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 2. When the kings, this is verse 1, when the kings were supposed to be at war, David was at home. David was like, man, I'm going to indulge the flesh. That's where it started. Because kings are supposed to be at the head of war. They're supposed to be leading the pack, and homeboy's like, I'm chilling at home. Someone else could do my job. That's indulging the flesh. Rather than go do what God called him to do, he's going to do what he desires to do, and that's to rest. And then when he was indulging the flesh, what happened? This is the text. It happened. Late one afternoon, when David arose from his couch, remember where David was supposed to be? He was supposed to be on a horse with a sword and shield. He rose from his couch and was walking around the roof. And what does it say? And he saw with his eyes from the roof a woman bathing. And she was beautiful. You see, that's what Satan always does, does he not? No doubt Bathsheba was beautiful. But Bathsheba wasn't his. 
And so what Satan did was attack his eyes to have covetousness to go after something that was not his. How often do we do that in our lives? Whether it be a car, a job, a person. I see it, I want it, I'm going after it. And John is saying, if you do that, you love the world. Do you, do I, does this church, do we have desires of the flesh and do we have desires of the eyes? And what are we doing with that? We have to be led to confession with that, repentance of that, so that when sin is crouching at our door, we will have master over it because we believe in the one who just called us last week that we have dominion over. The third one is this. The pride of life. The pride of life, one author says this, speaks of an attitude of someone who refuses to rely on God as father by boasting what he seemingly has gained by himself for himself. It's the attitude of, look what I did. I did all this. Remember what one king said about Babylon. And remember what one, happened to one king when he said that. Nebuchadnezzar and Daniel said out loud, look at all that I've done. Look at this kingdom that I've built. And God said, oh, no, 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 no. And turns them into a beast and sends them out. Because in that moment, that king thought that he had achieved something. Anything that you have done in this world is not because of you. If you have two pennies to rub together, that's not because you went and worked hard. That's because God's grace and God's kindness allowed you to have breath in your lungs to wake up, put two feet on the ground to go do the job. If you have a job, it's not because you, were, you outsmarted your boss or you did well in an aptitude test. It's because God in his goodness and his kindness says, Hey, that's the job I want you to have. Everything that I have is not because of anything that I've done. It's because of all that he has done. But if I'm not careful, in my pride, I'll be like, yep, look what I've achieved. Look what I've done. Just watch. Just turn on ESPN. All those knuckleheads, they think they've done something. Like, dude, first of all, you didn't make yourself seven foot two. Like, if I was 7'2", I probably wouldn't be in this pulpit either. I, they did not make themselves tall. They didn't make themselves fast. They didn't make themselves smart. That is a gift of God. But how often do we take the gift of God and think, man, look what I've done. And that is what John is saying in this text. He's saying, do not have that kind of pride. Because you have done nothing. It is all from God. So those are three things he tells us to watch out for. The desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life. And then he says, and here's the reason for those things not to have. Thank God he doesn't stop right there at verse 16. He's like, hey, now let me just kind of let you in on something. Here's the reason you're not to have desires the flesh, the desires of the eyes, or the pride of life. He says two things. It is not from God, and it's all passing away. 
So the two reasons that we are to lord over our sin is as a reminder that all of our sin is not compatible with God. It is not from God. God and sin cannot coexist. He says it in the text. All this is not from the Father, but it's from the world. The desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride of life. That's not from God. That's from the world. So the first place we see John say not to love the world because it's not compatible with God. How often are we trying to make the world compatible with God? How often are we trying to make God's word compatible with the world? Just turn on the TV. There are preachers that are trying to make this fit into a world system. Sin is sin is sin is sin is sin is sin. And God's the one that defines that, not us. But how often do we see the world and worldly pastors trying to make this fit into something it was never meant to be fit into? They're not compatible. They'll never go together. Then he says this, not only can they not go together, but look what he says in verse 17. The world is what? Passing away. It's vanishing. All these things we go after are going away. Money, jobs, relationships, Anything that's taking us from the Lord will vanish. You won't take any of that to heaven. I don't think we believe that the things we go after are actually vanishing. Because we actually believe that they're going to be satisfied. And here's the great, great, great delusion about sin. I'd be a fool not to tell you this. Sin is satisfying. Sin is satisfying. It's just very simple. It's like when I go after a yum-yum bar, one is not enough. But for me, one is too many and a thousand is not enough. That's what sin is offering me. Something that does satisfy, but always leaves me what? Desiring or craving more. Very, very simple. This is what Paul says about the world. And then I'll move into the last piece. Then what are we to do about these desires? 1 Corinthians 7, Paul says this. For those who deal with the world as though they have no dealings with it. For this present form, the world is passing away. Do you believe that? Do we as a church believe this world is passing away? You see, the question for you, the question for me, will now come to the next part of the application of this text. But you have to be honest with yourself first. What are your desires of the flesh? What are your desires of the eye? And what is your pride of life? Because now John will say this. He says, the world is passing away 
along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. Meaning if you do the will of God, you will not pass away. You live forever. So now the question is, then what are my desires? Is it really to do the will of God? Do you, do I, do we as a church, do we desire, do we have a craving, a longing to do the will of God? Now the question is, then what is the will of God? Not as what is God's will for your job. Not what is God's will for your relationships. Not what is God's will for your bank account. Not as what is God's will for your children. Because all those will be answered in what God's will really is. This is what Paul says the will of God is. 1 Thessalonians 4.3 For this is the will of God. One word. Your sanctification. God's desire, God's longing, God's cravings for you are that you would become more like Him. Now the question is, is that God, is that my desire that I become more like Him? Because if I want to become more like Him, then I will flee the world. I will run from the world and I will run to God because my desire now is to do God's will and God's will is for my sanctification. So then the question I ask every moment of every day, is what I'm about to do for my sanctification? Is what I'm about to watch for my sanctification? Is what I'm about to eat for my sanctification? Is what I'm about to listen to for my sanctification? Is what I'm about to go to for my sanctification? All of it will then hinge on that one little word. And that word means I want to become more like him. And if there's things in your life, if there's things in my life that are not allowing me to become more like him, I better cut them out. What do you and what do I, what do we as a church need to cut out of our lives because it's hindering our sanctification? I promise this, this life will pass away and my great sadness and greatest fear is this, you'll find momentary pleasure which you'll find eternal torment. Momentary pleasure for eternal torment is not worth it. So this morning, I'm going to read the passage over us again in closing. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away. And along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Three last questions for you and me. Started with them, I'll end with them. In your life, what is the desires 
the flesh. In your life, in my life, what are the desires of my eyes? Your life, in my life, what is the pride of life? Where is the Holy Spirit in this moment bringing conviction to you that you must repent of? Because without repentance, there is no sanctification. There is no will of God. Repentance always brings sanctification. Let us pray.